God dreams always agree with Scripture. They always agree with His Word. If you have something that you think is from God, but there's a contradiction in His Word, we'll throw it in the garbage pail because that's, that's where it belongs. Now, God dreams will always fulfill His will and His purpose and His plan. And so, as such, they always coincide with His nature. Something that is from God is always consistent with His nature with who God is, his character. They always honor and glorify Jesus Christ as such, because as we just sang, he is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the reason why we're here. Now, thank you. I think I will. Now, God dreams never allow for or justify or condone sin. Let me step on some toes. And I can do this. But I was just thinking of the concept of divorce. I've heard this before from people that think that God told them to get a divorce when his word says, I hate it. Now, it's not that God doesn't allow for it. The scripture does say that. And I'm a child of that. I understand all of the stuff that goes with it. But if you think that God gave you a dream, he told you to go get a divorce, you might want to recheck that. Now, God dreams are usually called crazy from non-dreamers. If you have something that you think is from God and God's pointing you to something, God's directing you with something, God's challenging you with something, and it's something that inspires you, something that motivates you, something that moves you, something that you're excited about, and you tell somebody else, they're going to go, what are you, what are you smoking? <laughs> Turn in your Bible to Psalm 126, please. I love the Psalms. I don't know any child of God who doesn't. Before I read this, just a couple notes about Psalms. You know, Psalms are, are just pure poetry that were sung to musical accompaniment. And, you know, we have this plethora, this tsunami of worship leaders and worship songs that's coming out now. I mean, probably now in the 21st century, musicians can correct me in this, but I don't think I've ever seen a time in my 40, 50 years of following Jesus when I've seen more music coming out from God's Word than ever before. I mean, it's through the roof. I mean, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. When I was in youth ministry before, I used to try to keep up with musicians so that I could funnel that to my young people, but you can't keep up with it anymore. It's, it's absolutely impossible because there's new stuff that's coming down the pike constantly. But you know what they're doing? They're taking the Word of God and they're putting it to music more and more and more and more. And it's so, amen, is, amen to that, yeah. But you see, the, the Psalms were written by over 12 people. 12 different people wrote these 150 chapters. It's the largest book in the Bible. It is the most emotional book in the Bible. Up and down and in and out. The heights of joy and the pit of despair. And it shows that there is this not-so-pretty process of developing faith in God and love for God through every season of life. I can't tell you the number of therapy sessions I've had with the book of Psalms. 
because it really is therapy for your soul. It's better than any counselor that you'll pay through the roof for. Billy Graham once said, if you want to get to know God, read the Psalms. You want to get to know God, read the Psalms. Drink them in. They are an absolutely wonderful aid for worshiping God. Now, Psalm 126 is what we call a psalm or a song of ascent. So let me just read these six short verses to start. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, I'm reading from the NIV. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes or bring back our captives, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a southern part of Israel, mostly desert area. Verse 5, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Psalm 126, a song of ascent. It was sung by the nation of Israel, usually when they were ascending to worship in the temple, usually for one of those important feast days that they have on the calendar. And this particular song reminded of Israel's freedoms, probably from the captivity to their Assyrian neighbors to the north. Verse 1 talks about carrying God's dream of freedom. Look at this verse again. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, Zion was a hill specifically just to the east of Jerusalem, but it really is used a lot of times synonymously for the city of Jerusalem as well. When the Lord brought back the captives, what's a captive? Somebody who's enslaved. Coming back from captivity means freedom. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Carry God's dream of freedom. You see, we carry God's dream of freedom by believing him, by praying for it, and acting as if it's going to happen. When do you go outside with an umbrella when there's no rain? You expect it. You expect it. You believe it's going to rain, and so you carry that umbrella. You realize that liberty is at the core of just about all of God's dreams? Freedom from the big enslaver of sin. Freedom from sin. God wants us to have freedom from things like poverty, and prejudice, and racism. God wants us to be delivered free from loneliness and homelessness, free from danger and harm. God wants us to experience freedom from having no direction, freedom from all kinds of things, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. I want you to consider the New Testament book of Galatians. Paul wrote this book to a plethora of churches in 
what, what was called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey today. It's a defense of the gospel of Christ. And also Paul's defense of our liberty in Christ. It is Paul's strongest letter in that sense. Consider these words. He said, if anybody tells you a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Damned. Condemned to hell. That's strong language, don't you think? Repeats it. He says it twice in those first couple of verses in Galatians chapter 1. See, because any other gospel cannot liberate. Any other gospel really is a judgment. And any other gospel will only enslave anyway. See, the gospel of Christ is the gospel of salvation. What's a synonym for salvation? Deliverance. What's deliverance? It's being removed from slavery of any type. And we are delivered from sin, delivered from its bondage, delivered to freedom in Christ. My friends, carry God's dream of freedom. Secondly, carry God's dream with joy. I never come into this house of worship without singing somewhere about the joy of the Lord. It's going to get into some song. It's going to get into some line. It's, it's going to be declared. It's going to be sung. It's going to be prayed. I, I, I blame Russ. It's Russ's fault. No, I'm just, I'm not blaming Russ at all. Russ is a wonderful leader. But you see, verse 2 says, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Joy has this attitude of expectancy about it, doesn't it? When you have the joy of the Lord, there's this expectancy of something future, something good, something positive that goes with it. My favorite verse is my life verse. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And the second part of the verse says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have you ever noticed how strong you are when you're experiencing the joy of the Lord? If you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord, then you feel weak. But when you experience the joy of the Lord, power goes with it. It's amazing how that works, those two things like that. See, joy is the, the delight of God. It's important to remember that dreams are fragile. And my encouragement would be to pay attention to those trips in your own life, those patterns which lead to feeling down or getting depressed. Because we all have those areas where we're more prone to certain things, certain patterns of behavior. Be aware of those things. Carry God's dream with joy because the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. Which leads me to the third thing, to carry God's dream through remembrance. Do you realize how much God loves remembering? The whole concept of remembering is huge to the Almighty. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. How do you know the Lord has done great things for you? 
you remember them. Sometimes we need encouragements to remember. Sometimes we need actual things that set up the remembering. Like what you're going to do next week when you celebrate communion. God stuck that into his word and part of the church of Jesus Christ's calendar because he knows how prone we are to forget. And so he set it up. He set it up and he said, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Now, you know what's fascinating about communion? There's not a lot of specifics that go with it. If you read the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which Paul wrote to the most troubled first century church in Corinth, church with tons of problems, and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Remember that Jesus Christ gave his life for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Jesus Christ was buried, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he's alive. Now, communion's not a funeral in a technical sense. Because funerals have this heavy weight to them. It is a serious time. It is serious. But it's important to remember that although the focus is usually upon the death of Jesus Christ, it's important to remember that he's not on a cross anymore. There is an empty tomb. Because he came out of it before they rolled the stone away. God loves remembering. And remembering his past's work inspire our faith in his future work. Fourthly, carry God's dream by praying. Verse 4. The psalmist switches gears from talking about what God's done to asking God to do something else when he says, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Mark Batterson is a pastor in Washington, D.C. He wrote a book a number of years ago called Prayer Circles. If you've never read it, get a hold of it. It's fantastic. It's his vision of having a church in a theater building in Washington, D.C. And it's in mega church category now. But Mark wrote, God's dreams have no expiration date. I love that comment. Because, you know, at, our dreams are sometimes fragile, and if something doesn't happen, it's usually challenging to our faith. You remember when Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given to you? And then he said right after that, seek, and you will find. And then right after that, he said, knock, and the door will be opened to you. And you can say that all three of those concepts have to do with prayer, but they also give us different insight into the Almighty and the fact that God is a God who's true to his word. You know, I have a bone to pick with one of the choruses. And here's the bone. Nothing compares to the promise I have with you. What a great line it is, right? Here's the problem. Promise is singular. God's too big to make just one. That's the bone. I know, it's petty. It's just, it's a great song. I sing it, but maybe they should have reworded it somehow to talk about promises, plural. 
I, I don't know. The biggest challenge in praying I've found is time. Not the time to pray, but the time between the asking and the receiving. You ever been there? You've got this prayer, and usually it's like the more intense, the more difficult, the more challenging, the more needy, takes longer to receive. You ever found that? You're praying for the salvation of a loved one. You start in the year 2015, and they're not saved until 2099. Because it usually feels like that. The time between the praying and the receiving. The time between the asking and the getting. But you know what that time is? That time is one of God's most frequent tests of our faith. Okay, you prayed for a day. Can you pray for two? You believed for a week. Can you believe for a month? You trusted me for six months. Can you trust me for six years? That's when the challenge comes in. You know what happens? More people quit. More people quit the faith because of the weight, probably, than anything else in my experience. Where is God? Where is he? He's where he always is. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. He's not only here. When Jesus Christ ascended to heaven... The Bible says, after Stephen saw the Lord standing at the right hand of God in Acts chapter 7, somewhere between then and the time when the writer of Hebrews wrote his letter, Jesus sat down. Now maybe he was standing, wanting to come back, if the nation of Israel would believe, but he didn't and hasn't yet. Doesn't mean he won't, right? Just wants us to wait a little longer. See, that test of our faith, that waiting between the asking and the receiving is usually Satan's temptation to stop believing that God's going to answer. You see, you see, he's not going to answer. You did something wrong. He's not believable. The answer's not coming. Yada, 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 yada. They said the same thing to Noah. Noah, what's rain? Noah, what's a flood? Hold on, Noah. I'm the weatherman. Keith Green said that years and years ago. I'm, a, I'm on this binge of Keith Green music right now. If you've never heard the musician Keith Green, just YouTube, I, oh my goodness gracious. He is a wonderful musician, but a phenomenal sense of humor. Here's the point. Never stop asking. Never stop praying. No matter how long it takes. Especially if you're praying something right out of the Word of God. Last but not least, carry God's dream by living his principles. Verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 126 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, 
will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Sowing and reaping is a spiritual law of gravity. Um, I knew I should have brought something with me. This will work. You know, I've done this for my students, middle schoolers, over and over and over again. I've done this over and over again. Do you know what's going to happen? It always happens. Every time I throw something up, it always comes down. I have never, in all of my years of preaching and teaching, thrown anything up without it failing to come down. See, sowing and reaping is a spiritual law of gravity. You know gravity, right? You came here today because of gravity. You got out of bed and your feet didn't go, whoops. Got on the ground, you were able to walk, and your car, the wheels stayed on the ground. We depend on it. It's certain. It's guaranteed. There's no stopping it, unless you got a rocket with more power to break that power. But sowing and reaping is a spiritual law of gravity, you see. Sowing is specific actions toward a dream. Reaping is the receiving of the fulfillment of that dream. Sowing is the doing. Reaping is the blessing. Sowing is believing, even when the dream seems or feels like it's dead. Sowing is living according to God's principles no matter what. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what kind of doubts and all kinds of trash the evil one is trying to dump into your brain to stop believing. Reaping is the sheaves or the bundles of blessing that God gives in response. Now, a couple of principles here. We always reap what we sow. If you have corn seed and you put it in the ground, don't expect an apple tree. Right? <laughs> you reap what you sow. We always reap after we sow. You can't expect that apple tree to just pop up on its own. You better have apple seed that you put in the ground first because we reap after we sow. And we always reap more than we sow. Now, why is that? That's because God is consistent. And God is extravagantly generous. Haven't you found that? That God is extravagantly generous? I love that word extravagant. I love it. We don't like it when it comes to government spending. But we love the concept of extravagance when it comes to God. And when it comes to God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, which is new every morning. His grace, which is more sufficient than anything. His love, which is unconditional and reaches to the skies. The fulfillment of the dream is always bigger than we expected. I want to tell you about an, one that I had a number of years ago. We were living in Maine, and I had the privilege of pastoring a church there. And God gave me this, quote, dream or vision or expectation of teaching college students the Bible. I love communicating God's word. I absolutely love it. It's one of my dearest passions. God said, one day I'm going to have you do this, and I'm pastoring a church. And there was a conflict. And so I resigned, and I left that church and moved back to western New York, and God gave me the honor and the privilege of being able to be the chaplain of a baseball team that was in the New York Collegiate Baseball League. They were called the Niagara Power. 
Niagara Power played in the New York Collegiate Baseball League a number of years ago, and Cal Kern was the man who, who led that team with his wife and his family, and we were part of that. My bride and I were part of that. And Cal asked me to chaplain the team, which meant that I got an opportunity to give Bible lessons to these college baseball players once, twice, sometimes three times a week over summers for about eight years. And it wasn't until like the second summer when it hit me. Michael, I told you that I was going to give you the Bible and baseball together. No, he told me he's going to give me the Bible. The college students, the baseball part, that was just God's extravagance. Because I love baseball. It's the best sport on the planet. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay. You could be wrong for the rest of your life. It's no problem. <laughs> See, but the, the fulfillment of God's dream is always more than we expected because God is extravagantly generous. Amen? Amen? Thank you. The fulfillment of the dream is always worth the wait, no matter how long it is. And that's where the challenge is, because they're so fragile that we can often give up. So in conclusion, let me ask you, what are you dreaming for? What are you expecting? What are you looking forward to in your personal life? For your family? For your church family? For Medina? For the world? And one more question as I close. Are those dreams big enough for God? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much that we can trust you, the dream giver. Thank you, Lord God, for the honor of knowing you and of trusting you and following you. Thank you for the way that you put things into our hearts and into our minds, those next steps that what is to come, that you plan on doing. Thank you that you include us in your plans. Lord, I pray that you would give us perseverance and endurance to carry those dreams, to pray with joy, to expect with excitement. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.